I don't know about you, but I love a comeback story. I love it in sports, you know, I love it in society. I love the underdog. You know, I don't know if it's, if it's part, you know, uh, of the reason we, it's been woven to the fabric of our culture, you know, because we overthrew the British and, you know, we're the little guy and, and, and always trying to rise up and rise above. But most of us enjoy the comeback story, which is kind of like why we like the whole David and Goliath, you know, experience. Uh, uh, before launching an empire, you know, that it includes resorts, theme parks, film, television studios, retail, and so much more. Walt Disney launched his first animation company in 1921. Uh, he had relative success, but was forced to go bankrupt, acquiring too much debt. It took Disney several other failures uh, to finally to become successful, including losing the rights to one of his most popular cartoon characters of the time, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Even Mickey Mouse and Snow White were first dismissed by critics until Disney proved them wrong. I don't know if anybody, any of you, any, any of you in here have ever heard of Traff Odata. Anybody ever heard of Traff Odata? See, Bill Gates is most famously known as the founder of Microsoft, but his first foray into business was an idea intended to provide traffic reports for traffic engineers called Traff Odata. The company was mildly successful, but failed to gain wide recognition as after problems with the prototype. Gates eventually moved on to create something called Microsoft. You may have heard of it. Uh, and become one of the youngest self-made billionaires in history. Uh, before becoming one of the best basketball players, you know, of all time, Michael Jordan was a five-foot, eleven aspiring sophomore in high school who was rejected by his varsity team for being too short. But according to Jordan, failure is just part of the eventual success. He uh, was a man who led the Chicago Bulls to six NBA championships, won the Most Valuable Player award five times, and started in Space Jam, one of the best movies of all time. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, uh, he, he says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant went to West Point, entered the Army as an officer, but did not like his post in the new Oregon Territory or being separated from his family. He drank too much, fell into depression, and he quit the Army. He went home, and then he failed at business as well. When the Civil War broke out, he was asked to rejoin the army and did so, so well that he was promoted to the top general of the Union forces. After leading the Union to victory, he was elected twice as president of the United States. His comeback culminated in the writing of Memoirs, a book about his life that at the time actually became the best-selling book in American history. The list goes on and on and on. We love a comeback story. It's just part of what kind of gets us excited and we root for that underdog experience. You see, we've been centering on the life of David, but specifically these last couple of weeks, including today, we've centered in, you know, on one of the most tragic and horrific decisions, you know, that he made when he went from not being where he was supposed to be, got bored to death, lusted, had an affair, murdered, you know, uh, the husband, you know, of the person who had an affair and then tried to cover it all up. And, and we talked last week about, do you have a... Uh, Nathan in your life? Do you have someone that can keep you accountable, that can point out some things as you and I are heading down a wrong direction? And then who are you that to in someone else's life? But the question becomes, how did he do something so terrible? Think about what he did. So immoral, and yet he's looked at so positively, even called a man after God's own heart. If you get nothing else out of today, once again, for those of you with ADD, here's the main point that I want you to walk away with. 
Your comeback can be stronger than your setback. Your comeback can be stronger than your setback. And believe it or not, it's more in your hands than it is in God's. So you and I are going to take a hit. Uh, We're going to make mistakes. We are going to absolutely blow it. And you might find yourself in a season where you're on the up right now, or you might find yourself in a season where you're on the down. It might be your fault. It might be someone else's fault. You might have gone through a divorce, abuse, neglect, failure of some kind. And so what we want to answer is how do we bounce back from a setback? How do we make this incredible comeback? How do we experience the other end when things don't go well in our lives? And there's just four quick little things that I think all of us can maybe attach or come, uh, get, get grips with in order to make a difference. The first way is to own it, is to own it. When you make a setback, do you own that you made a setback? Because we are natural born blamers. You do realize that, right? We naturally want to find a reason, excuse, or blame that it's not our fault. The reason we're in our circumstance situation is it's someone else's fault or their situation or wouldn't have happened if we're natural born blamers. We blame others for anything and everything in our lives. They did this. They said that. They, they fell in love and they left me. This is always their fault. And in order to own it, you and I have to answer some uncomfortable questions. And here would be the first uncomfortable questions. Did I have a, any part in this? Did I play any part on, in, in this? Now, most of us, when something we think has happened to us, we look at it you know, almost like a pie graph, and we say, well, 90% is their fault. 10% is my fault. And it's really easy because, well, since the majority is your fault, it's your fault. But we don't want to take ownership of the 10% that may be my fault. And we might even use the phrase, 99.9% is their fault. But there's still a part that we need to own in the setback, even if it's come to us. Now, it's a way better story that it's somebody else's fault. And I, re- I realize that. But we've got to take ownership of our part. Here's what I can tell you. I have yet to have a marriage counseling appointment where both couples come looking to admit their part in the process. There's always one, usually both, who come in saying, it's her fault because she didn't. It's his fault because he did. And they come in wanting the pastor or somebody else to be on their side to see that the majority of the blame is on that person, which may be true. But in order to move on from a setback, you actually have to own your piece of the setback, even if it's small. Now, here's my question for you. Do we have a tendency to overestimate our share or to underestimate it? Underestimate it. Uh, And it's funny because the smaller our piece of the pie, the harder it is to own, isn't it? The smaller that we perceive our piece of the pie, the much harder it is to own, which leads us to the second question. To own it, you've got to answer this question. Could I have done anything differently? This one sounds funny. Could I have have done anything differently? It means, did you neglect to see some of the warning signs? Uh, Was there a friend or family member who said, hey, don't make this decision. Don't don't do this in your life. And you did it anyway. And you want to take the blame and put it on the person you're involved with when actually there was some warning signs that were given ahead of time. Did you enable versus have a conflict conversation Uh, Were you kind in and through the situation? Did you stay too long at the house or the office appointment when we knew flirtation was beginning? Were you greedy? 
Were you naive? What little piece can you say, I own that? Now, for those of you who are in business, the higher you go on an org chart, the harder it is to take ownership, naturally. Because when something goes wrong in business, it's so easy to say, well, it's that person's fault or responsibility, and yet you're the owner, and so there's got to be a piece that you've got to own as well. See, here's the reality. We can't move into a better future until we own, however little it is, our piece of the past. You see, David not only experienced this, but he wrote a phenomenal prayer and confession to God in Psalms 51. In fact, if you have a chance this week, I want you to read through the whole thing in chapters 51. But this is what he says about whose fault it is, who to blame. In Psalms 51, three, it says, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Now, the word to recognize in the Hebrew is a word called tada, and it literally means ownership. It is mine to own. Now, could he have found some person or some reason to blame someone for any part of this? Absolutely. Would he be wrong? He wouldn't be wrong. But he is saying, I need to own this in order to move from a setback to a comeback. Here's something for those of you who know the scriptures to, to process a little bit. Saul who was the previous king before David, if you put a list together of Saul's mistakes and sins and David's mistakes and sins, you do realize that David's uh, sins outweigh by far Saul's sins on the comparison game. And yet David is looked at as a man after God's own heart, but he committed far worse things. The difference is Saul never took ownership. There was always a reason. There was always somebody to blame. He never said, my fault, God, forgive me. Where David says, I made the mistake. I own it. Can you forgive me? So owning it. How do we, how do we bounce back from a setback is to own it. Secondly, it sounds similar, but it's a little bit different, is to confess it. To confess it. Now, does anyone here struggle with saying the words, I'm sorry? Anybody? All right. Let me, let me talk to you men. You struggle with saying you're sorry. Now, here's what I mean by that. I'm talking about I'm sorry and I mean it. You know, not the, all right, fine, I'm sorry, let's move on from the conversation. Because you usually have females in your life that are much more verbally astute and aware than you are, and they wear you down, and you're like, fine, 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 I'm sorry, let's move on. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Now, you're not really sorry, you're saying the words. If you have kids, you know, they say words, but what's the difference between regret and repentance? Uh, let me give you another example. Uh, how many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Speeding ticket? Okay, look, confession time. See, we're all confessing here. Doesn't it feel good just to get it off our chest? Okay? There's a lot of sinners in this room. Okay? <laughs> so you got a speeding ticket. When the officer pulled you over, okay, and you said, hey, I'm so sorry, officer, or you tried to blame somebody else or whatever it may be. I didn't realize what I was doing. Now, regret says, I'm sorry. Repentance means I don't speed again. How many of us were sorry we got caught versus we actually slowed down? All right, I'm going to put myself on the altar here. Uh, there is a, a stop sign uh, in my neighborhood that I don't believe should be there. <laughs> I believe intent of the law versus letter of the law. It should be a yield sign at best at certain times of the day. But the officers disagree with me. At 6.45 in the morning, when all the pagans are sleeping, and some of you, there's nobody on this road. 
And so I do sometimes at best, because I'm, I'm safe, I'm not, and that's the purpose of a stop sign, safety, is I look left and right, but I'm more of a California roller, you know, uh, through that stop sign. Well, it was about a year and a half ago that uh, I just did what I do every Sunday morning uh, and rolled right on through, except there was one car that was coming the opposite direction. I was safe, but he didn't like what I was doing. So he decides to pull me over, right? So the police officer pulls me over and he says, do you know what you were doing? I said, nope, I don't know what I'm doing. Played dumb, didn't work. You know, uh, he says, where were you going in such a hurry? I say, this is always the fun part. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm going there. He goes, yeah, I hear that all the time. I'm like, no, no, really, really. I'm actually going to church, you know? Uh, And so he says, you know, it's, you know, it's not something you should be doing. I said, I'm so sorry, officer. And he goes, all right, I'm going to give you a warning, right? So I was so sorry, I continue to blow through that stop sign on a regular basis. <laughs> oh, don't you judge me. <laughs> so he's the same, the same way. What was so funny about that is on Thursday night, a police officer came up to me and asked me the exact location of where I'd do that so he could call his buddies in Idaho and let them know what's going on. So this morning, I actually stopped for the first time, and I looked both ways. I was laughing at myself, because I'm like, well, fear, you know, fear can lead us to change our behavior as well. (laughs) See, repentance means I'm actually going to change my behavior. Repentance says I'm sorry, and I want to change. And we talked a lot about this last week. 2 Samuel 12, 13 says, then David confessed to Nathan, and he says, I have sinned to the Lord. See, when someone hurts or wrongs us, sometimes they want to make up for the hurt or wrong by giving a gesture of a good deed or a gift. And maybe you've received that from someone, like, hey, I'm so sorry, let me buy a gift, let me, let me go out of my way. But if the attitude or behavior continues, how worthwhile is that gift? How meaningful is that gift that's given? It's the same thing with God, which is why David writes in Psalms 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Notice this, verse 16. You do not desire a sacrifice. Here's the gift. Or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering, a gesture. Or I would give you one. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. See, last week we looked at what this repentant heart looks like even more detail in case you missed that. And so how do we bounce back from a setback? We own it, and then we've got to confess it. Confessing it to God, confessing it to other people. And then we've got to accept it. We've got to accept it in two ways. The first way we've got to accept is the consequences of our decisions. And again, we did talk about this last week. Many times we stay on the floor and wallow in some of these consequences. Yet, if we were to be honest, even though we've owned it, even though we have confessed it, we have to accept that our finances are going to be in disarray for a while based on our financial decisions. It's not going to happen overnight. Our marriage is is, is not going well, and so in order for it to be healthy, it's going to take a little while. You know, our our addiction that we've gone through, although we've owned it and confessed it, it's going to take a little while. Our failures, you know, even though we've owned it and confessed it, it's going to take a little while. There's going to be consequence. We reap what you sow, as we go through this, and some of you know that based on relationships, some of you've gotten a divorce and you know that some of the consequences you might not see your kids every day and it's every weekend or so. Second Samuel twelve fourteen says, because you have shown utter contempt, Nathan says, for the word of the Lord by doing this, says your consequences, your child will die. Your child will die. 
Now notice what David does. 2 Samuel 12, 20. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and he worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. And again, we talked a lot about consequence. Why was this consequence taking place? If you want to hear that, that's last week's lesson. But here's where I want to camp for a few minutes today. The second part of us accepting it, and this is the part that's going to set some of you free even at this moment, is have you truly, with the setbacks you've experienced in your life based on the choices and decisions that you have made after you've owned it and, accepted it and confessed it, have you accepted God's grace? Have you truly accepted it? See, we either don't accept at times the grace of God, you know, it's not something we deserve, it's called unmerited favor, or we've, we think we've accepted that grace and we refuse to forgive ourselves because the consequence is still playing out before us, so we keep beating ourselves up over and over and over for what we did because there's a constant reminder of what we have done. God is speaking directly to you today. Our biggest sins are never too big for God's grace. Amen? David had an affair and murdered someone. Let that sink in for just a second. He had an affair in his position of leadership and he murdered someone. And yet in Psalms 51, one and two, he writes these words to God. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. He doesn't deserve this. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And God does. And he does. See, if David can accept the grace of God, then so can you. And some of you think that you've confessed to God and you're accepting his grace, but you refuse to forgive yourself based on the reasons that I mentioned. Who are you to not forgive yourself if the God of the universe has forgiven you? You have no right to continue to hold on to that. You've got to accept the grace and live in that grace, even though the consequence is still before us on this day. Walk out of here clean, lighter, than when you came in. So how do we bounce back from a setback? We own it, we confess it, we accept it, and then finally, we release it and we move on. We release it and move on. It's fascinating, his advisors were shocked. After his child had died, he went up and worshiped the Lord, he got you know, well and he, and, he started, and he went to battle and he did all these other things and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, we, we can't understand how quickly you flipped, David, on going from such misery and prayer and brokenness, and it's because David released it. He couldn't do anything about the past, even though there would be consequence that would be for generations to come. And he says, all I can do is focus on where I'm at and what God is doing in my life, and he released it, and he moved on. In fact, one of the things became for him a purpose in moving on came from Psalms 51, 13. He goes, then I will teach your ways to rebels. Well, who's the biggest rebel? David. See, sometimes our greatest setback becomes a comeback and God uses that to help other people in their lives because other people learn from our mistakes and our failures. And they will return to you, he says. Learn from it, but then let it go. 
Uh, Zig, Ziglar, Zig Ziglar has a famous quote. It says, it's not how far you fall, but how high you bounce that counts. That's a good statement. Do you realize that some of the best marriages that I know are actually those who suffered and went through an affair? I would not recommend that, by the way. Now, some of you are like, man, I need marriage help. Let's go have an affair. No, I'm just saying that their comeback has been far greater than their setback. In other words, some of the best men and women of God are people who've made some of the biggest mistakes in their lives. You do realize that, right? If you forgot, go reread your Bibles. The entire Bible is filled with people that we would say are amazing men and women of God, but if you look a little deeper, all of them, or a high percentage of them, have major character flaws, major mistakes, major setbacks, from adultery to lying, materialistic to greedy to sexually promiscuous. All of these people were then used by God because they didn't allow the setback to stop them from making a comeback in him. The harder you fall, the higher you can bounce for him. See, how far into the future do you plan on carrying your sin of the past? Let it go. Is that a fair eating disorder? Sexual rendezvous? You've been fired. You've held on to bitterness, lack of forgiveness, business failure. You've got to let it go. Your comeback can be stronger than your setback. Let me give you just four quick examples. I asked this question on social media. What's been your greatest comeback experience after you suffered failure, loss, and sin? And I hope this will be an encouragement to whatever you're going through as well. Serge wrote, coming out of my sexual addiction and God breaking down the chains the addiction had on me, being renewed, given new life and new identity, I'm a new creation. We can get excited about that. Yes, we can get excited about that. Setback to comeback. Brian writes, overcoming thoughts and attempts of suicide. I didn't do it alone, although I had a very good friend and God helped me through it. Now I'm getting the courage to share with others. Amen? How about Jill? Yeah, we can clap about that. Two more, even though I know we go on and on. Jill said, overcoming the loss of a child. I turned to alcohol and divorced my husband. I ran fast and hard from God, but people who showed me grace brought me back to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? In case sometimes you put us on pedestals, Larry writes, my dad was a pastor. He got hooked on drugs, divorced my mom, lost his mind, but the Lord wouldn't let him go. And years later, he returned to the Lord and the Lord totally restored him. He and my mom remarried after 14 years and their last 28 years of marriage and ministry were better than the first 28. Amazing. So what's your next step to bounce back? What's your next step to make the comeback from the setback that you've experienced? Is it to own it? To say, my fault, nobody else's. I'm going to take my piece of the pie and say, this is what I need to own before God and before others. Maybe it's to confess it and to say, God, yep, I blew it. I need to tell you and I need to tell some other people about it. Uh, maybe it's to accept it, to accept the consequences knowing that some of these may last the rest of your life but to accept God's grace that doesn't allow you to be hindered by that. Or lastly, maybe it's to release it and move on. 
to say, I've got to let it go. I've got to lay it down before him. What's your next step? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time together. And I pray, Father, that you would draw people to yourself. Lord, allow us to feel the weight being lifted right now as we make these decisions before you. Father, there have been people, as we've experienced all weekend long, who are finally being set free, finally on the journey to a different kind of future because they're giving it over to you. Guide and lead our hearts and decision now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.